I have a special guest for all of you. Mike is hurt or sick or some other filthy lie. So in his absence, I have gone to patron, Rangers fan, hero, Eric Cohn. Eric? Hello. Th- thanks for the kind words. You see that? That right there, he was an emergency guest. I don't know. What was it? Like three months ago? Yeah. I think. Could have been longer than that, maybe. And now he's back again. This time, we're all fancy with the Vox podcast. So it's even more of a gift, really, for the people. Because now you're on a professional podcasting network instead of the blog talk radio offshoot that we were doing before. So it feels, feels, it right. feels more elevated. It does. It absolutely does. The audio is great. This is fan. You stole a high-end mic, I see, from your office. I did. That's good. I appreciate that. And yeah. I will deny that I knew that, even though I just said it on a recorded podcast. Yeah, it's okay. Um, it feels fitting, actually, that the Rangers, as of this podcasting, are winning 2-1 over uh, Pittsburgh right now. It's 2-2. They tied it. Oh, they tied it. Okay. Yeah. See see all that happened between then and now? That's good. Um, the Rangers are coming off a 2-1 overtime victory against Toronto. After they, When we looked at the schedule, Mike and I... I'm going to say a week ago, we kind of pinpointed games. Oh, the Rangers will beat Detroit. And then, of course, they'll get smashed by Toronto uh, and Pittsburgh and all the tough games that the Rangers have left. And then they do the exact opposite. Um, Eric, I have not had an opportunity to talk to you about this. The New York Rangers, fifth from the bottom right now. They have 71 points. They're tied with Buffalo, but the Rangers have like no regulation and overtime wins, which helps. What are your thoughts on the whole New York Rangers lottery tanking? conundrum well it's weird right because like you said you'd expect them to lose to detroit you would or to beat detroit you would expect them to lose to toronto and exactly the opposite happens um look we've said this for a while or at least plenty of people said it for a while they're they're bad at tanking part of the reason that they're bad at tanking is the betman point the the loser point they take too many games to overtime which is one of those weird silver lining things right they're good and competitive enough so that they can hang with a lot of these teams, they can get a game to overtime, and then you know lose in overtime or, or lose in the shootout, so they don't pick up the full two points, but they still get the one Batman loser point, which is really inhibits them from getting to the bottom of the standings where they need to be to have a better chance at getting a first overall draft pick, which, well, I want, everybody should want. So... It's a little frustrating. I, 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 they need to do away with the Batman point. If you know, if what happens is what I think is going to happen, which is unfortunately, I think we will have another work stoppage coming up. We'll probably have another lockout. Um, they need to get rid of the Batman point. They need to put in a, a three-point system that incentivizes people to actually go for a win near the end of the game. And and you know, frankly, I've I've heard other people talk about this as well. I, I'm you know, can we bring back ties? I'm not. I still I like the three on three overtime. I don't like the shootout. I'm tired of the shootout. It's like deciding a basketball game with a game of horse at the end right. of it rather it than like actually it, letting them play out. I will note thing. it is interesting. You can go back. I think this was a year or two ago. Um, the data crunching guys at five thirty eight did took a look at um, whether or not it would be an insane idea to have NHL playoff style overtime during the regular season and their conclusion was even if you went five on five playoff style overtime every regular season game you would have a couple of outliers that went on you know beyond a period most games would probably end in the first 10 minutes so i think we can get rid of this you know kind of ridiculous 
situation that the Rangers find themselves in, where, as you noted, they are the team with, I believe, the fewest row wins in the National Hockey League. They have 23. The Ottawa Senators, who are in last place, have 26. But the Rangers have 71 points compared to Ottawa's 58. They only have three more wins than Ottawa. That's nuts. It skews the standings in a way that doesn't represent the reality of how good or bad these teams actually are, and I want it gone. I was actually going to say um, the Bettman point was perfect after the the league came out of the the long lockout because it, you needed that extra you know pull I guess to bring everybody back in. Oh, there's going to be no more ties. Look at how cool and exciting it's going to be. And you're right, it's like it's like the freak show almost. You want to see the, the bearded lady or the dancing bear or whatever it is the the kid who has like the lobster claw or whatever the the typical carny thing would be. Like you want to see it. It's cool and it was fun. It was exciting. And then you turn around and you realize. And I kind of feel like. I love three-on-three overtime. I don't know about you. It's still gimmicky, but it... it it's more hockey gimmick. It's fun. It, it actually is. This this was an argument I had with them. So I have, I have a group from work that goes to Taco Bell every Tuesday for lunch because it's Taco Bell Tuesday. I, 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 and we got into a discussion about what is the best all-star game of the four major sports. And my argument is now the current incarnation of the National Hockey League to me is the best all-star game because it is the best approximation of the game itself. You know, the NFL is ridiculous. The Pro Bowl should not be a Pro nobody Bowl. There should Right. Nobody watches it. It's terrible. Um and cuz nobody wants to get hurt. Stupid. It, it none of it makes sense. They should just name an all-star team kind of like, you know, you do for like prep sports and be done with it. There's no game that should be played. The NBA I will accept as a fine argument for best uh best all-star game. MLB is okay, but the way that they insist on shoehorning every single player off the bench into the game creates the inevitability of another situation where we will have a tie in the ninth inning and everybody will freak out again. But the NHL with what they've done with the three-on-three tournament, I think is fun, it approximates the game well enough, and it allows us to see the talent level of the players out there, which if you know, you're like me, and I think you were, watching hockey in the 90s, how much slower the sport was back then compared to what it is now. The three-on-three opens it up, it's fun, it's entertaining, but the shootout makes no sense to me anymore. No yeah, sense. And, and I was like a kid in the 90s, and the two-line pass made so much sense to me until I saw life without it. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, I can't even watch old games on TV, like when MSG runs their uh, recaps or whatever it is, or like classics. It's hard to watch because there's no flow to a game. But I I, I think go three-on-three three for 10 minutes. And if somebody doesn't die in those 10 minutes, and more often than not they will, then it's a tie. Fine. Now, the question that I have for you, since we're on this topic, are you willing to go to a soccer strategy of three points for a win, one point for a tie, no point for a loss? Or at that point, are you just 2-0-1 because there's no, you know, you're just doing the 10-minute overtime and there can be a tie? I'd be fine with the soccer style. I think that makes more sense. I think it creates more of an incentive for teams to actually go for it, which I think should be what we want, right? Um 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm fine with that arrangement. I'm I'm fine with whatever gets rid of this bizarre, arbitrary extra point system that does not accurately reflect how good or bad teams are in the standings. You know, a team can be as bad as the Rangers are, and I think we can all acknowledge at this point the Rangers are a bad team. I truthfully, even you know, in spite of the standings. Ottawa is worse than them because Ottawa is a total dumpster fire. The Kings are probably a worse team than the Rangers. And then you're in an absolute argument about just a few shades of difference between Detroit, New Jersey, Buffalo, Anaheim. These are essentially the same teams as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but it, it's not reflected in the standings in in the way that I think I think it should be and it would be if the Bettman point didn't exist. And. There's such a huge swing in the Bettman point, especially for the Rangers right now. They have the most overtime losses in the league, um, actually tied for the most with Colorado at 13. Obviously, the West is a total shit show, so Colorado is in the playoff hunt. The New York Rangers are in the bottom of the East. You take those 13 points away, and granted, that's a totally extreme response, and the Rangers have 58 points. They're tied with Ottawa. You give them those 13 points, and all of a sudden they have 84 points, and they're in the playoff discussion. So I think your point is right, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, just that David Quinn is, has gotten a buy-in. He's gotten this team to believe that they can win every game. There, There's effort and hustle that we have not seen in a really long time, and that famous never-say-die attitude that – all these people applauded when John Tortorella was the coach in the first few years of Vigneault we saw, and then it just kind of ebbed away. Like, the team was almost getting too old for the bullshit. And that's great. And when you play a lot of kids, which the Rangers are doing, they want to win. Brendan Lemieux, you know, Brett Howden, Neil Pionk, Anthony D'Angelo, like, you're playing for your life on this team. You're playing for an opportunity to either remain an NHL player, to move up in the lineup, throw Philip Hedl, throw Pavel Buchnevich, do the whole bit if you want. Guys like Chris Kreider are playing for a new contract. Same thing with Kevin Hayes. There's a lot that goes into that. So it's very difficult with that team to tell them, and not that you would anyway, hey, we're going to lose hockey games. That team is going to win hockey games, and they did. I think it's a testament to Quinn that some of the games the Rangers have lost have been as close as they are. But yeah. let's call a spade a spade. The Rangers are 2-5-3 and three in their last 10 games. And they've been dreadful post-trade deadline, which we knew was going to happen because they traded two of their better players. So what it really comes down to is I think this is almost the perfect scenario for the Rangers in the world of realistic. They were never going to be a straight lottery team. We knew that. We knew that because of Henrik Lundqvist. Um, Alexander Georgiev has certainly taken a step that we were not maybe expecting to this level. The Rangers have good goaltending. They have a murderer's row of terrible on defense. And up until recently, they had a solid forward group. And there is something that you can build on here. But the reality, when you look at it, the Rangers being fifth from the bottom right now with eight games left, Seven once you're listening to this because the Rangers will be done with their game against Pittsburgh. That's not bad. And you are talking about the Rangers being in a scenario where they can theoretically get a top three pick. Now, there's a different risk associated there because you want to be in the top two in this draft. You don't want to be in the top three. But at five, the Rangers have a 26% chance to land a top three pick. 8.5% at the first overall. And and. Capo Caco, or if Jack Hughes isn't taken first overall, like the consolation prize at two is great. It doesn't matter what it is. You've won already. But it's hard to imagine the Rangers would have gotten there organically. 
And, uh, you know, we, you and I haven't spoken about this. I've spoken about this with Mike a lot. I'm curious what your thoughts are on David Quinn since it seemed to get, like, revigorated on social media today for whatever reason. Yeah, it it did. Because uh, we, we can't have nice things. We're not. No, no, we, we can never have nice things. Uh, I'm all right with him. Um, I wasn't as, I'm, I'm not as excited as I was when he was originally named. Um, I, I take like Nick Mercadante's skeptical arguments. Um, the pizza boy. Well, the pizza boy. Uh, I, I take the points he makes fairly well. I, I understand where he's coming from. Um, I like what you talked about, the buy-in that he's clearly getting from the players. Look, this is a team, The one, what I want to see out of them in every game is... They play hard and they compete, but they lose. You know, and it's it's a weird thing because I imagine it's you know, a lot of people out there watching games. This is the feeling that they get, which is when you're watching the game, you're in the middle of the game. Of course, you want to watch them win. You can't root openly for your team to lose, except in the most you know absolutely cynical of possible positions, <clears throat> like I might be in with the New York Giants this year, but we won't talk about that. It's a sad world over there in uh, in Jersey. It's I don't disgusting. I don't want to cry, so we'll move on. How is it possible that the Giants are that much worse off than like any other team in New York, though? No, like Syndergaard just fucking put the Mets on blast for their shitty decision to go to Syracuse, and I'm not a baseball fan. I actually, I think you are, right? You're yeah, I'm a Yankees fan. fan yeah. Um, and I like I know very little about baseball. I know how stupid that is, and I feel like that almost hasn't gotten enough attention because as soon as he said it, John Mara was like, "Yeah, we may, you know, we may have Eli forever. We don't know. He could have a robotic arm. We're not sure." And everybody just goes back to that. So, thank you, Giants, for I guess taking some uh, pressure off the rest of the New York teams. Uh, can, can we actually say the weird thing is that the Rangers are probably the like tied for the two best run sports franchises I, in New York. I said that and everybody got on me, but I really like it. And I, I, at this point you give the Yankees the edge, I think just because they're, they're that much further along in their rebuild than the Rangers are. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. But you also have to you ha- you also have to knock the Yankees for not opening the the wallet that they have, which is enormous for an incredibly talented player like Manny Machado, and then lying to the fans and saying, "Well, we're focused on pitching," but they didn't actually bring in you know more than one pitcher that they traded for. Yeah, then they like, didn't sign Machado because they were going to get that third baseman that ended up signing in Colorado, and then they were like, "Yeah, oh, we never said that." Who so said even that? even at this point, there's like some there's at least a cognitive sense of like the Rangers have a better idea, I think, of exactly what they're doing now they're limited by the salary cap so they have to make some more informed decisions they can't just open their wallets to the extent that they would want to even if they could but you know okay this is i'm 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 actually good with the direction the rangers are heading right now i don't have a lot of gripes about the trade that gorton made at the deadline i like the way david quinn has gotten the buy-in the weird thing about what would have driven me nuts if it were Elaine Vigna we were talking about, the way that he has sat young players at different points throughout this season. If it were Elaine Vigna, I would have lost my mind. But the reason I would have lost my mind is because he the reason he would have been doing it, the logic that was informing the decision would have been, I'm going to sit Buchnevich because I want to get Tanner Glass in there, which is a non-starter of a logical argument. It, there is no logic in there. You are better off having Booch in there than you are having Tanner Glass every day of the week and twice on Sundays. However, what Quinn has done has more or less worked, even if I think, you know, in my limited knowledge of what it's like to coach an NHL team, which is zero, that I would like to see the young kids just continue to play to get as much experience. Look, he clearly has buy-in from this team. 
he's clear whatever he's doing is working you see it in the way that Buchnevich has responded that uh Hedl has responded you know there's still a few things that frustrate me the over reliance on people like um Neil Pionk who I think should have been either out of the lineup or definitely off of that pairing with Mark Stahl much earlier than he actually was uh there's Jimmy VC is still I don't understand what's going on there but I like what he's done. I like the way that the team is playing hard for him, and it's what you would want to see for a first-year coach like this on an upward trajectory with a team that's bad now but should be getting better in the near future. It's funny. First of all, you're gonna you're replacing Mike on this podcast as of this point because you're you and I are on the same way same wavelength here. So, Mike, if you're listening to this, you're you're out, buddy. Okay, it was a good run. We had some fun. Um, here here's my my take on Quinn and you're absolutely correct. And I think we said this way back in the beginning on the podcast, there were decisions that were made that everybody was like, Oh, it's Qu- it's Vigneault 2.0. He's making like Philip Hedel is sitting. Pavel Buchnevich is on the fourth line. And I kind of took a step back because we talked to um, Jake Reiser, who is, uh, he's part of Stanley Cup of Chowder, the Bruins blog and in, in SB nation. And he was, uh, he covered the Terriers for a while with when Quinn was on the team. And a big thing that he brought up was that David Quinn even when he benches somebody in a game, is not like they're not on an island. He's talking to them. He's explaining to them what he wants. When Buchnevich was sitting, we were all pulling our hair out, and then we found out that he actually went to lunch with him, and they had a discussion about what he needed from him. Buchnevich admitted the other day, I think yesterday actually, that every time that he sat, he was told what he needed to do. And over the summer, he talked about the fact that that never fucking happened under Vigneault. So there's a huge difference there. Now, there are things that I don't agree with. Using VC over Buchnevich is insane. The Pionk first pair experiment that continues to be like mixed, again, I have no idea where that's coming from, really under any circumstances. When you're talking about the like Quinn uses tough love on everyone, and I don't think everybody needs tough love. The Heedle usage, if I didn't say that already, I, I have an issue with that. All that said, he's turned D'Angelo and Buchnevich into like very good hockey players. Zibanejad, Hayes, and Kreider pre-injury were having career years. Mm-hmm. And I, a couple of people, when I made that point on Twitter, they said, well, where they are in their career, like you kind of expect that. But do you? Do you expect a 26-year-old Kreider to take another step? Same thing for Hayes. And if you even want to make that argument, like Zibanejad, Hayes, and Kreider were on better teams last year than they were this year. And they're still playing better this year than they are last year. Like, there is something to be said for what Quinn has been able to get out of players. But you're more than, like, you should have certain gripes. And you're more than welcome to have gripes. And you're welcome to think he's the worst coach in the world. You're welcome to think he's the best coach in the world. But even when Tony D'Angelo was sitting when he shouldn't have been, and we all all just kind of looked at each other, it came out that it was a maturity issue, that something happened behind the scenes. A lot of me wonders whether or not some of the decisions Quinn made, and you brought up a point that that I think is so critical. When Vigneault sat Buchnevich for Tanner Glass in a playoff game, he's saying we are a better hockey team with Tanner Glass in the lineup instead of Buchnevich. At a critical moment. Right, at, at a, in a must-win game. When Buchnevich sits now, it or anybody, Heedle, how like whoever it may be, it feels like I get the chance to make a to send a message these days because there is no consequence. 
Who fucking cares if we lose? This is the time to do it. And Quinn has made his mark on this team in that regard, and it has turned into we've seen a payout from it. And there's a huge difference between the two in that regard. Enormous. He can make the same essential decisions, the surface-level decisions that Vigneault did, but the reasoning for them and everything that lies underneath is different, and that's what matters, right? With Vigneault, you couldn't make sense of a heck of a lot that he was doing, um, particularly you know, thinking that Tanner Glass somehow made them a better playoff team than having Buchnevich in the lineup. But yes, you know, sitting young guys at different points in the season and for different reasons, right? You know, it could be with Tony D'Angelo to send a message because of maturity things that happened off the ice. It could be like with Brett Howden and Filipino, which is these are young guys playing in an 82 game season for the first time in their career. And they're going to need some time off because they're going to need to adjust to that reality. But I think the Kreider point is an even more important one because you're right. There's nothing to suggest that it was inevitable that Chris Kreider takes another step like he has this year. Um, one, you have to give some credit to Quinn for getting that out of his player. And two, you know, I had started to think that like Chris Kreider was a good hockey player. I liked having Chris Kreider on the team. I liked Chris Kreider from the moment that he came into that uh, playoff series against Ottawa and just seemed like a force of nature. And he always felt like that typical... Rangers forward that was much ballyhooed when they were coming up, which was, they were good. They were not as great as advertised. And Chris Kreider looks to be turning out just about as great as advertised. And it's it's David Quinn that is, seems to be getting it out of him. So yeah, there, there's things you can complain about. There's things that you can still not like, and that's going to be true with any coach. But there seems to be an ethos to the team. There seems to be some underlying logic. There seems to be something that David Quinn, a system that he's working through and how he perceives this team going forward. And I think it's generally a positive sign until we'll get to the point with David Quinn that you get with get to with pretty much every coach in pro sports where it stops working and you have to make a change. But we're a far a long way off from that at yeah, this point. Yeah, we're, we're, and that's it's an important part because I think it was actually Nick uh, Mercandante, the pizza boy himself, who said it, really the critical year for a coach is year three going into year four because the first year you get, you, you send your message. The next two years, it's your message again. Once you get into year four, you're repeating the same message over and over again. And that's where if it's not working or – and that's, you know, Vigneault almost followed the same the type of trajectory, which was 2014, he could do no wrong. And it was really only when he got his hands on the personnel decisions and the Rangers started kind of going backwards in that regard that it turned into something else. But I think that David Quinn, at the very least at this stage in the game, has demanded buy-in. He's demanded hard work and effort, and the New York Rangers, uh, again, some of the lineup decisions that he's made maybe have not been what I would do if I was the head coach, but I'm also not in the locker room. I was on here blasting Quinn for sitting D'Angelo, and then we found out that he's trying to show him a message uh, about yelling at officials. You only know, like, we can only work with the information that we have, and it's something that we've had to kind of come to grips with because really no information leaks out of the New York Rangers. Yeah, I was just going to say, keep keeping in mind that the New York Rangers are one of the most, like, conservative, zipped-up organizations in pro sports where you don't get that kind of information except what the Rangers actually want to let get out there. Right, and that's where, like, Larry Brooks deserves all the credit in the world for being one of the very few in the no beat reporters on the beat here in Broadway 
But by the same token, you read an article where he writes about, oh, this slump by Chris Kreider, uh, the Rangers are going to remember this when they're doing their contract negotiations. And it's like, who told, like, we now we know, we know where that came from. You're not able to hide that as much as you would be in another organization. So, because you're not getting anything from anywhere else. And that's not a shot necessarily at other beat reporters. It's just the reality is, where do you go to for your breaking news? Where do you go to for news of, like, the edgy type of content? It's Larry Brooks. Larry Brooks is really the only beat reporter left where everybody kind of goes, did you see what Brooks wrote? Nobody, yeah. you don't do that for anybody else. And that's fine. That's It is what it is. The New York Rangers are a very small, kind of small circle in that regard when it comes, but not even national guys have information. Like Dan Rosen, you'd assume working for NHL.com, he'd have scoops. He doesn't. So it is all Brooks, but then, like you said, where are you getting? Like at that point, where are you getting your information from? Let's uh, let's point out one other difference in in David Quinn as well, which is I understand even if I don't necessarily agree with it that there is still amongst the kind of people that coach teams in the National Hockey League the obsession with having the guy who's tough, who's a physical player, even if you know I think it makes more sense to have as much skill as possible in the lineup. That manifested itself under Elaine Vigneault in the form of Tanner Glass and then McLeod. Well, uh, yes, McLeod was here at the beginning of the season, and let's give Gordon credit for getting literally anything for Cody McLeod, which was remarkable. But what I think is a good sign is what form is that toughness role taking on the Rangers now? It's Lemieux. And Lemieux is a guy with enough offensive talent to justify being in the lineup in the bottom six somewhere, playing that physical role, being that kind of grinder guy, the guy who's going to get under other players' skin in, in a way who he reminds me of um, since it was the 94 team that was when I fell in love with the Rangers, which winning a Stanley Cup makes it easy. But Esatikinen was, to me, that kind of player. He was a pest. He was difficult to play against. He was obnoxious to play against, but he also contributed. He scored goals. He was a good enough offensive player to justify being in the lineup. And if that's the form of grit, if that's the form of toughness that David Quinn sees as being valuable for the team, then I'm okay with that. It's the old world school of thinking that says we should have a guy out there who's literal only hockey talent is putting his fist in someone else's face is such archaic thinking that it amazes me that it still exists in the league and if the new form of that is you know what david quinn sees in lemieux then i'm good i'm good with that and we discussed that as well that lemieux if you get a player who and i have no issues with tough hockey a lot of people their argument is well the rangers wouldn't have won the stanley cup in 94 without it but yes it was a completely different game in 94 than it is today in 2019 and it, it was 25 years ago. The game is different. It's it's smaller. It's faster. It's more skilled. I have no issues. And I actually think there is value in a guy like Lemieux who can do the right things, crash the net, be a net front presence, screen the goalie, score some dirty goals, smash a guy, draw some penalties. But there's not many players like Lemieux out there, guys that are tough and they'll beat the shit out of you and they'll be your – you know, the guy that's defending – you're the, keeping the flies off him if you want, but also somebody who can play hockey. And if Lemieux is that, fantastic. And he's been that. And Adam actually just tweeted that his concerns about Lemieux went from 
whether or not Lemieux was a capable hockey player to are the Rangers going to start using him in the top six because of kind of what he's done. And I just I, I don't know if there is a, a right way to go about something like that because you need to find the right player to fit that mold. And Quinn has said so often they want to be a tough team to play against, but not in the Tanner Glass, Donald Brashear type of toughness necessarily. And the we're going to be in your face, we're going to be forechecking, we're going to be all over you type of toughness. And Jeff Gordon kind of talked about the same thing, and Lemieux fits that mold. As long as you can play hockey, Luke, like Luke Sheik's in his prime. That, you want that player? Great. They can play hockey. That's what you need. But if the very first thing you talk about a guy is, well, he's really tough, that's a problem. That's not somebody – it's just like when you're you're sitting on the draft and I call it the Dylan McElrath theory where it's like the very first thing you talk about is somebody's size. That's a problem yeah. because you lead with the best. Oh, he's a tough son of a bitch and that's all you can say about him? That's a problem. That's not Lemieux. Lemieux is, has been a very effective net front presence for the Rangers in the same vein that Chris Kreider is. Maybe Lemieux's a little bit more effective because he's a little bit more physical, but I have, and he draws a shitload of penalties. I have no issues with what Brendan Lemieux has brought to the team. And I'm totally fine with the Rangers going in that direction. And I was semi critical of his return when it happened because Nick Patan was traded for fucking pennies after that. And I thought that the Rangers would have had an opportunity and they kind of foregone, they kind of skipped over Patan to go for Lemieux. That was my speculation. But I've fallen in love with Lemieux. I think he's exactly what the Rangers need, basically because they don't have to get a guy like Tanner Glass because they have a guy like Lemieux who can actually play hockey. And, and that is that's exactly what you would want. It's you know you want the player who and this is probably a bad analogy and people might jump on me for it, but okay, whatever. Um, Tom Wilson is not a bad hockey player other than his inability to hold back from incredibly stupid hits. If he you know if he didn't have that obnoxiously awful horrific dirty streak you could justify having someone like tom wilson on your team now i don't want him on my team because i don't want that garbage in my house but you want players like that brendan lemieux is a player like that if that's the form toughness is going to take in the national hockey league now that's great to your point about you lead with the best the other one that i can't stand is even though i get the value of it is well he's great in the locker room okay you know what you can do you can get guys who are great in the locker room and on the ice they exist there's plenty of them. There's no reason not to have them. I'm if the only justification is, I'm, I, I'm sure plenty of us would be great locker room presence. Yeah, the league minimum right now. I, I would take half of the league minimum if they would let me. Yeah, but, you absolutely. Know, but if if yes, if this is the form of toughness for the Rangers, if this is what David Quinn sees as his form of toughness for the team. Okay, I'm good with that. And that's uh, that's fun. like that is exactly if that was the goal. And look. You have to give us credit for being a little nervous when we hear something like that, where the conversation is, well, we, you know, we want to be a tough team to play against because we've heard that the past 15 years. And it's never equaled what you want it to be. It's always something crazier. So it's good that the Rangers have gotten to this point. It's good that they, that hopefully Lemieux kind of quenches their thirst in that regard. But he needs to do his part, and he has to this point. I mean, 14 <laughs> games with the Rangers, I think he has seven points. But the you know the whole we want to be a tough team to play against thing. It's it to me it's like the you know we want good character players. Hockey is so cliche laden. There are so many of these dominating cliches that always come up. You know beyond just like the athlete interview, give a hundred and ten percent. Yeah, you know all that kind of stuff. 
of course you want to be a tough team to play against. What are you going to say? You want to be an easy team to play against? You want to be a soft team to play against? No, nobody's going to say that. It It's what form it takes on that actually matters there. So I've just kind of moved to the point of rolling my eyes at a lot of these cliche kind of things until I actually see what they translate to in terms of player personnel decision. And I, I, had, I had the same immediate reaction of thinking they should have got more for Hayes, but rather quickly settled into, I think this is a fair trade. And it's proven out pretty well so far I, and that's all I, I, for the way some of the rangers trades have graded it out the, the way some of the rangers trades have graded out like the mcdonough trade at this point when we kind of talked about that a couple of weeks ago where you threw in miller just to get hayek like yeah there's some buyer's remorse i think in that regard i think you could say the same thing about the step on trade but sort of for different reasons like the bigger trades that jeff gordon have made has made have been subject to the more to the more criticism, and that is exactly how it would work for any NHL team and any NHL general manager, because there's so much to lose when you're trading a guy like McDonough than there is when you're trading a guy like, you know, Kevin Hayes, in a sense. But for the Rangers, I think they've gotten what they've needed to out of these deals, and we're going to start to see sort of the next phase of the rebuild, uh, but before we even get to that, I have, I have a curiosity question for you because you're a smart individual. There is a uh, contingent or there is a small part of this fan base that believes that Henrik Lundqvist is, and I'm quoting, picking his games. Um, Alexander Georgiev started today's game because actually Lundqvist went to Quinn and said, hey, he played so well against Toronto, you should reward him with another start. The Rangers have given up four straight goals. They're losing 4-2 to two in the second intermission. Eric, run me through your, your just your take on, on Lundqvist at this point, um, kind of the situation that the Rangers are in, and uh, do you see, like, the, the Hank Truthers I know are not friends of yours, but do you see any of that, well, Hank isn't really playing against tough competition, are you buying any of that bullshit? I shouldn't lead the witness like that, but I'm going to. No, I'm buying none of this Henrik Lundqvist stuff. So if Henrik Lundqvist is picking his games, um, Maybe he's doing it in a way that is, you know, letting Georgiev get some experience against better hockey teams, not because he wants to play against cupcakes, but because he might actually care about Alex Georgiev's uh, development as a goaltender. Uh, maybe that's a possibility. So I, I don't think any of this is even all that much worth discussing. I mean, what's the point? So say he is p- playing against weaker teams. So what? What does it matter? And that's more or less where I'm at at this point is the fact that the New York Rangers, there is no benefit to Henrik Lundqvist playing from this point forward, right? We can all agree that there is absolutely no benefit. The Rangers aren't in playoff contention. It doesn't mean anything. Wouldn't it make sense for Georgiev to get a lion's share of the starts? Because the Rangers are going to have a goalie controversy next year when Shostyorkin comes over. So you may as well get as much. We've talked so much about how this year needs to be a question-answering year for the New York Rangers. We answered questions on Pionk and D'Angelo, which you and I will get to in a second. Why not answer a question on Alexander Georgiev? Lundqvist is picking his games. Why wouldn't you have Georgiev start against better competition just to see what you're getting out of him? Yeah. It, look, one, let's acknowledge that Benoit Allaire is, uh, is a wizard. What he has managed to do with young goaltenders, even, you know, Cam Talbot was not a pedigree guy. 
Um, what he turned Ken Talbot into was remarkable. Um, what he did with Antti Ranta, who was a fine goaltender, but not great with the Blackhawks before he came over, was great. The the big strike about what the Rangers have done in goaltender management under the Henrik Lundqvist years, or at least the most recent ones, is the lack of ability for Gorton to capitalize on the assets that he had. The fact that he threw Antti Ranta basically in as a bonus to the Stepan trade is nuts. They, they, you know, we don't need to revisit that whole trade and how terrible it actually was. But you could have gotten a lot more for Anti Ranta. You probably should have gotten a lot more for Cam Talbot. And you're right. If everything goes the way that we think it's supposed to, and Igor Shostorkin is going to be coming over to Broadway, probably as the backup to Henrik Lundqvist to start in what's essentially a timeshare, to start getting his feet wet in the National Hockey League, you need to figure out what you're going to do between him and Georgiev, and that might mean moving someone like Georgiev. And you want to get the maximum value you can, and that means letting him play as much in the what's re- left of this season so that other teams know what he is and can get a chance to value him so that Gorton can make hopefully a good move with it if that's the direction they go. Yeah, and there's no there's no lot like why would why would David and this really look, we need to say this is born from a subset of this fan base that is it's like my fifteen month old daughter. She loves the dog's water bowl. She has to play in it. She doesn't have a choice. It's like it's contractually built into her existence. So she does it for attention. When me or my wife is not paying attention to her, she goes over and she splashes in the fucking water bowl. That is what a good portion of this... I'm intentionally not naming names. And I'm sure Eric is doing the same thing. And you may even know who we're talking about. Where You don't give them the attention. Like, that's what they want. They need the views. They need the hits, whatever. The idea that Lundquist is walking into David Quinn's office, because this really started back in the beginning of the year when David Quinn went to visit Henrik Lundquist. And everybody was like, oh, he's bigger than the team because the head coach happens to be meeting a fucking key member of his team moving forward. He met Zibanejad there, too. He skipped Zuccarello for reasons we'll never know. Like, you don't think that he went around and he found his way to having a conversation with these guys? So don't, like, that's where this started. Lundquist is not going into Quinn's office and saying, you better not play me against the fucking Maple Leafs because I don't want to get my head caved in. Why would that even be a, a topic of conversation? Why would that even be something that we would be talking about right now? It's not. It's not. So you want to make that assessment, that's fine. You're more than welcome to. I'm not going to tell you that you know you can or you can't, but I'm just telling you that I think it's ridiculous that that's even a discussion at this stage in the game. I really do. I think it's absolutely nuts. Now, the other question that I want to ask, and we can kind of finish on this, if you will, we just talked about this being a, we need to get a question and answer session out of um, Neil Pionk and Anthony D'Angelo. What are your thoughts on, A, kind of what we've figured out about the two of them, and B, like long-term implications? Because Mike and I have talked about that for a bit, whether or not we're keeping D'Angelo long-term or Pionk long-term. The Rangers are going to have to make a decision on both of them because they're both RFAs come this summer. What are your thoughts on that? Tony D'Angelo has earned a place in this lineup. Uh, he has played well enough this season. He was playing well enough at the end of last season that he should have probably featured more, but of course... The Tony D'Angelo issues are the Tony D'Angelo issues. I think he's earned a place on this team going forward. Neil Pionk is, at best, a seventh defenseman on your hockey team. If you're a good hockey team and the Rangers want to be a good hockey team, 
he's a seventh defenseman. He's got some nice offensive upside. He is horrid in his own zone. And even some of the eye test stuff where it's like, look, it was fun to watch him do that coast-to-coast goal earlier this season, but that's going to be like my one enduring memory of Neil Pionk. He's an okay player. It, you know, he was an undrafted college free agent. Good for him. You know, he may get some NHL experience. Good for him. Um, I just don't think that he has a role on this team going forward. And I'm a little worried that he is going to get a contract and that it's going to be one that doesn't make sense. I don't understand. Uh, Pionk, really, like the greatest trick that he ever played or pulled or however that saying goes, is the fact that he like made everybody believe that there was... I don't understand where it even came from. And I, I don't... I'm, I'm not here to shit on a guy. I'm not here to make this insinuation that, oh, there's no reason for them to give, you know, there's no reason for them to give him a shot. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that like the New York Rangers... You have a pretty clear in a way opportunity to say, hey, we have a very good defenseman that we need to give minutes to. And for a while, David Quinn made it an either or situation. Both of them should have been playing this entire year. There's no reason why it turned into a Quinn or D'Angelo or Quinn. No reason for it to turn into a Pionk or D'Angelo situation. And that's exactly what it turned into. There was no reason for the team to be carrying eight defensemen. No, and and it appears that they, I don't even, like, I'm actually genuinely shocked that we may be having that conversation again next year. Because it seems like we're sort of going down that road where the Rangers might want to bring back McQuaid, people are talking about. Like, Frederick Clayson is an RFA, too. So what is, I don't know what the plan is there. I even wrote about it. So fine, we can burn that bridge when we get there. To me, and I'm writing a story about this, you've gotten the answer you needed on defense. You got the answer that D'Angelo is a legitimate top four defenseman on this team. You got the answer that Neil Pionk probably should not be in the lineup at all next year or even on the team in the first place. So the flip side to that is how are you going to deal with both of them? Pionk should have residue value. Just like this inherent reputation value from his hot start to the year. He scored that Spinorama goal, whatever. You get picks from him. You do whatever you have to do. Done. Great. Fantastic. The the flip side of that is D'Angelo needs to be kept. The longer the term, the better, especially because he could probably be had for cheap. But mm-hmm. you do have concerns about whether or not he's going to be – there's going to be maturity issues there. So fine. Again, I'm totally fine with the Rangers bridging him. But you have Smith, Shattenkirk, Shea, and Stahl. For another two years. And you can't get rid of any of them without either, you know, Shattenkirk maybe you could trade and you're selling low. Shea, I'm not sure the Rangers move out on. Stahl and Smith, you need to do something crazy. You need to buy them out or find like a retained salary deal that works. So... Well, I believe I saw that Shea was wearing the A tonight, so I think it's pretty clear they're not moving on from Brady Shea. And, I mean, should they? No, it's a, they should it's not. A, I, don't, I don't think they should either. It's a more reasonable discussion than it would have been, what, six months ago? Look, if the, I think this would be a different conversation if the Rangers had an anchor at the top of the defense who was a clear-cut leader of that defensive squad, where you can start having these conversations about, you know, Neil Pionk and Gilmore and... Um, you know, Hayek and where these all these guys fit in, but in terms of, you know, basically your bottom two pairings. But you don't. You don't have that guy. And if you don't have that guy, then what you have is a glut of defensemen that are not good enough to be the defensive core that this team needs right now. And you're going to have to make some decisions about moving on from them because you need to make your focus getting that guy for the top of the defense. 
Yeah, I, that's a perfectly logical way. And look, the Rangers are supposedly Darren Dreger can't keep Eric Carlson's name out of the Rangers' mouth. So there's a lot going on from that front too. Jacob Truba is somebody that the Rangers may be going after. There's a lot of reasons to kind of turn around and say, well, you know, we might see some changes going on in the Rangers' defense, and that's fine. We're expecting it, the and Rangers we have to not, see that. Right, we have the Rangers to. Rangers are not a good hockey team, and it's mainly because their defense is as bad as it is. But I do think there's something to be said for making the right decision like you have the information you need now it's almost like like you're getting the inspection on a house like you know what's fucking wrong with the house so you need to factor that into the buy price and we need to see the rangers factor that in when look if you can get neil pionk for two years like two million dollars fine if that's the last but again you're adding another healthy body to an organization that does not need more bodies on defense and you are dealing with a team that, A, Hayek is going to be back next year. Rikov is going to come over. Miller, Lundqvist, you're going to have th- – those are th- four guys who may come over in the next year or two. And for Hayek, he's probably going to be there next year, all things considered. Yep. Um, y- you don't need more bodies. So you, you you need more bodies, but you need the guy who's going to be that top of the line, first pairing, unquestioned, number one defenseman for this hockey team. And those guys are fine role players, but they're not it. Right. I You and I are on the same wavelength. Um, all right, patrons. Aiden Gaspar, Alex Gardner, Armel Kistner, Andre Chicagoff, Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Bob Kawa, Chris B., Chris Habibi, Chris O'Connor. Dan Carosi, Daniel DeGen, Danny Santiago, David L. Singer, one very famous Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, Gabriel Vargas, 50, Igor Zatlovsky, James Dangles, John Reppy, Johnny Lowe, Jordan Sassone, I'm sorry if I totally butchered your name, uh, Joshua Zarkin, Keith Franchillo, Guy from Montana, Michael Silvers, Mike Offit, Panero in 2020, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Robert, Thomas Olsen, Trevor Kepner. Thank you all so much for donating. You too, Eric, specifically. Um, Jordan, Joshua, there's a couple of you guys who are new. Please, and if you haven't already, because I'm pretty sure we have not sent out this much swag, um, put your addresses in the system just so that we can make sure that you get your stickers. Did you get your stickers yet, Eric? I did, yes. Thank you. You got the stickers, and you're a $10 patron, so you're going to get a fucking mug at some point, too. Boom. I think, yeah, I think uh, Mike is in the process of sending them out. We sent one out to 50 in, uh, like, a test, and it worked, so we'll take that. Um, So give us your addresses, you goddamn scallywags, and if you're not a patron, become a patron, because everybody who's a patron of the show is better than people who are not a patron of the show. Um... To the soothing tones of Johnny Moore, Eric, thank you so much for uh, jumping in and filling in for Mike, and we should do this again, and we're actually going to do this again for the Q&A show, so there you go, some instant satisfaction. See you soon.